Good evening and welcome inside Delaware Stadium, the site of tonight's CAA season opening matchup between your University of Delaware Fighting Blue Hens and the University of Rhode Island Rams. Two men back for Rhode Island. That's a high snap over Pritchard's head. He can't control it. Now he fumbles it, and it's scooped up and run into the end zone by Rhode Island. Now Walker comes in motion from left to right. They'll fake it to the running back, then fake to Walker. A pass deep down the field. Complete the scarf. Touchdown, Blue Hens. Play action. Kehoe to pass. He's got an open man. Incomplete. Owen Tyler drops a touchdown up the right sideline. Kehoe hands to Kane from the pistol. And Kane loses the football. The ball is loose at the 40-yard line. Rhode Island signals they have it. And they do. Second fumble lost by Kanai Kane this evening. Rhode Island has completed the upset of the Blue Hens here in the season opener at Delaware Stadium. The Rams, who have not won a season opener since 2009 and have not had a season above 500 since 2001, silenced the crowd at Tubby Raymond Field and put a huge hit to the Blue Hens playoff aspirations right from the jump. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Delaware Football Roundup podcast. With Jake Lampert, I'm Brandon Hovek. We're coming to you on Friday the 31st after Delaware's 21-19 season opening loss against Rhode Island. This the first episode in our season-long podcast where each week we will recap and analyze each and every Delaware football game, beginning first with a very disappointing result on opening night a few hours ago. Jake, Delaware came into this game heavy favorites, third-ranked team in the CAA against the 12th-ranked team in the CAA. But from the start, it was a close game all the way through, and Rhode Island makes more plays at the end to win it. Yeah, it was exactly what both teams, I think, expected in an opening day game. Delaware being that third-rated team, they knew they were going to come in and they needed to play well, and they needed to get the job done. But on the Rhode Island side, being the 12th team in the CAA, and we talked about it a little bit uh, during the game itself, they have a chip on their shoulder. Their mentality is, we're not the 12th team. We're going to prove to you that we're not the 12th. We can play better. And I think they did, obviously, based on the score, 21-19. But based on the on-field things that we saw as well, they surpassed a lot of the expectations and a lot of predictions against them. And I think they lived up to that spoiler role, especially in an opening day CAA game. It wasn't the only upset last night in the first day of CAA football action this season. Maine defeated New Hampshire 35-7 to on their home turf. The Wildcats lost their starting quarterback, Trevor Knight, early in the game. He's the CAA preseason offensive player of the year. Nothing like that happened here at Delaware. Everybody came through this game healthy. But as you mentioned, Rhode Island was right there with the Hens at the half, 10-7. to And then in the second half, they take advantage of a few opportunities set up by two costly fumbles by Kanai Kane and a turnover on special teams that directly led to six points for the Rams. Yeah, it wasn't the um, the cleanest opportunity. But when you look at the first half as a whole, Delaware played their game. Delaware, the defense didn't look pretty, didn't look as pretty as they normally did, but they got the job done. Zero offensive points for URI. The, the only seven on the board was from a special teams blunder. Um when you look at the offense, they did exactly what they were supposed to do. They weren't going to be pretty. They were just going to— They they, they left were. points out there. Right, but you knew when Pat Kehoe's coming in with his, uh, his first snap being his fourth ever snap in a collegiate uniform, 
you know they're not going to throw the ball 50 yards downfield every play. He had a nice pass to Charles Scarf uh, for the touchdown, and I believe the Owen Tyler was the second half. That would have come in the second half. Right. Um, so that that play doesn't really uh, finish it. But they ran the ball well. They kind of um, got better as the first half went on. They were really ugly the first two drives. I don't think they converted on a first down on either of the first two. That's correct. And then they started to kind of find their groove, march the chains, and then uh, attempt to produce. Can I Kane in the first half, 116 all-purpose yards. He had a 47-yard catch and run that put the Blue Hens into field goal ter- ter- territory right at the end of the first half, which put them up 10-7. to His runs on the drive that led to the Charles Scarf 28-yard touchdown, it was almost exclusively him and a sprinkling of Dejon Lee. They really weren't passing the ball on that drive much. So he helps set up two of those scores in the first half. But you can't help but look at the two fumbles as perhaps the most costly plays in this game for the Blue Hens, and particularly the one with 3.58 on the clock and Delaware in Rhode Island territory. At that point in the game, it was the same as the final score. They were trailing by two, 21 to 19. The Blue Hens had about a little under six minutes when they got the ball to go down the score, to go down the field and get a score, either a field goal or a touchdown. But the Kane fumble gives the ball back to the Rams. Before we talk about the defense and maybe what they didn't do after that point, you can't fumble the football twice. I mean, that's those two plays, the first half fumble by Kane with Delaware in Rhode Island territory and the second half fumble, those plays you just simply can't have, no matter how many yards he's putting up on the ground or through the air. Yeah, and I'm going to um, disagree with what you said. I'm going to say that the first fumble was even more costly because this was a position in the game where Delaware was starting to really find their footwork, really find their groove on the offensive end. They were moving the ball downfield. Kehoe looked a lot more um, calm in the pocket. And then that fumble took all the air out of the sails on the offense. In the very next drive, I don't think they converted the first down. I think that one was a three and out. Um, yes, the second one was detrimental because they could have scored. They could have put seven on the board. They could have put six. They could have put three on the board and given them a lead regardless. But I think that first fumble really set the game tone right there that – the defense, and we'll talk about it after, they were doing okay. But the offense was really starting to find its footing, and they were really starting to look good. Kehoe had a few good passes to Jamie Jarman. He missed Joe Walker a little bit behind him uh, on a play before that. But the d- offense started to look good, and I think that was the fumble that kind of took the sails, took the air out of the sails. I see what you're saying there, but I'll disagree and say that the second fumble was more costly. I mean, at that point in the game, regardless of everything that happened beforehand— you're 10 yards away from field goal range with plenty of, you know, you're a running team. You have four minutes left to try to drain time off the clock. Even if you don't get in the end zone, you're 10 yards from field goal range. Frank Rago, money inside 50. Last year, he didn't miss a field goal within the 40 to 49-yard range. And that fumble there, you know, it puts all the onus on your defense to not only make a stop, but then for you to have to come back out and score again. If they score a field goal there... Delaware's defense has to just prevent Rhode Island from going the length of the field, which they only did in this game twice. And you could argue that one of the times it was on a fluke play where they just flick the ball up to Tyler Burke, the tight end, and he sometimes how gets out of a broken play and scores a 57-yard touchdown. So they had been fairly successful defensively. I would have felt confident up one with two to three minutes left in the game, but instead it goes the other way. And then the defense, I don't think they should come out of this blame-free. 3.58 on the clock, two timeouts to work with, 
and they don't get the ball back to their offense until we're under 20 seconds left in the game with no timeouts. Yeah, and I agree with that. I think that they um, were serviceable to that point, but for a defense that is supposedly rated one of the best to give— uh, They didn't play like it last right, night. To you give can't call team, that one of the best nationally ranked defenses. To give a team four minutes to— really milk every second off the clock. And this is a team that was running it up the middle. Delaware's kind of keynote specialty to stop because of their uh, massive presence, the linebacker position that they uh, should have been able to stop runs up the middle. That that should have been a minute and a half. That should have been a textbook 30-something second sh- uh, game clock every time. Multiply that by their four plays, and that should have been all Rhode Island would have had. Mm-hmm. But instead— Or even more if you use those timeouts yeah. in, in an effective way. Even you, even if you save 30 seconds here and there. But they let them get those first downs. They let the chains move. And um, they did okay if we had a Kyle Lalletta at quarterback who we were confident in that with 40 seconds left that they could— It was mo- 16, though. Right. I, I don't care if Aaron Rodgers is out there. I don't right. feel confident in that situation with no timeouts. Which I think they were playing— um, not to their quarterback. They were playing to their defense. I think they were trying to just get them off the field and bring the quarterback team on and bring the offense on, but the offense wasn't in any position to march and make a 16-second a game-winning drive happen, uh, especially the field position that they got from the really strong punt by the Rhode Island punter. Um, so I I will agree that this defense was not looking like a number one rated defense, and they shouldn't get out of it blame-free, but they also should get the credit that they deserve for giving up only two offensive touchdowns on the game as a whole, which and, and is around the average. And that's fine. But if if you want to be a CAA contender, you have to pick up the other half of this team. Yeah. You have to win this game against a team that is, again, ranked 12th heading into the season in this conference. If this was James Madison and you're close down the stretch and it's like, oh, the defense just didn't make that one more stop, that one more play, you'd, you'd look back and say, okay, they did the, they did their best. But there's opportunities with the Kanaikane fumbles on offense and with this last drive defensively that you really look back and you have to scratch your head about. And Delaware gave you know gave away multiple chances to win a game that they should have won. Uh, again, credit to Rhode Island. You said it off the top, and I totally agree. They showed up. They played a hell of a football game considering their talent level. They played above their heads. When you look back to their three and eight, two and six record a year ago, they played better than a three and eight team. But Delaware, you know the ball is coming up the middle. You know they're going to run the ball in that situation. You're supposed to be one of the best run defensive teams in the CIA and in the nation. And you let them milk three minutes and 42 seconds off the clock in that situation. Let's go to the quarterback. We talked about him a little bit earlier, Pat Kehoe. Impressions of his game, you know, 202 passing yards early on, maybe missed a few passes, but in the second half, settles down a bit, makes a couple big plays. Charles Scarf, a 28-yard touchdown pass to him. He had a ball right on the money to Owen Tyler. That would have been a touchdown that was dropped. What did you think of Pat Kehoe in his college debut? I think he looked subpar until I saw him connect on third down to Charles Scarf. And move the chains. I thought that was the first play um, where I said, okay, 
maybe wouldn't we wouldn't have gotten that from JP Caruso because uh, throughout the whole game, whether this was a good or a bad thing, I was comparing him to JP Caruso. Said, would Caruso have given us that? Would Caruso have not given us that? Because that is our backup, and I'm not uh, confident to stand up and sit. Well, I say sit down here at this point and say that I think Caruso would have won that game for us, but I don't think Kehoe did anything stellar to prove to us that Rocco's decision to make him the starting quarterback was the correct decision. With that being said, he settled down really well in that second half. He didn't have those jitters. When he missed Joe Walker behind, That was that's a rookie mistake. That's just a not a good pass. He missed a pass. Yeah, yeah. that was just not a good pass. The same, he had one to Jamie Jarman when Jarman split triple coverage deep down the field. That was a just overthrown pass. It was a tough pass, but it was an overthrown pass. Mm-hmm. But once he connected to Scarf across the middle of the field, he kind of locked in and he started to game control it. The drive that ended with the Kanai Kane fumble towards the end of the game. He started to be more of a game manager, a clock manager. So I think he settled in nicely. I think he did okay. I'm not going to take anything away from him. He put up the most pass yards that we've seen. I'd like to see when was the last time he put up 200 and something in the air. Um, so that's obviously a positive. I think he did okay. I think he did a good job. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't think he lost this game for Delaware. Right. I think, you know, he put them in a position that they had four minutes left to go get a game-winning drive. And sure, you'd love to see an offense go out there and just put Rhode Island away early on. But he also, he didn't lose the game for it. He didn't turn the ball over. Yeah, no picks um, in his name. And to, two, you know, 200 passing yards, that's something that we don't see here a whole lot the last couple of years. So I thought he was fine. One of the things that we talked about on our way out of Delaware Stadium last night was, are we going to see J.P. Caruso you know, these next two weeks when they play Lafayette and Cornell at home, Rocco had said leading into this game that he expected to play two quarterbacks. And last night, that wasn't the case. Kehoe took every snap but one from behind center, and the other one was a read option play with Joe Walker. Exactly not a pretty one. The ball on the snap goes a little bit to his right and through his hands, and they end up losing big yardage. But as far as quarterback snaps, Kehoe took all of them last night. We didn't see Caruso. Um, you know, what's your take on that last night? And then we'll spin it forward next. But first, uh, last night, and then I'll respond because we kind of had this conversation already. Yeah, I have no problem with Caruso playing the entire, uh, sorry, I should say uh, Kehoe playing the entire game. Because I think game-wise, it was time to put Caruso in. It was time to let him get an opportunity. But theoretically and mind-wise and team morale-wise, you're you're in that game from start to finish that's not a time to pull your quarterback out. Kehoe was not doing anything detrimental. He was not throwing you interceptions. He was not dropping the ball left and right and missing a target left and right. So in that position, because you are in it, you are two points down against a 12th rated team, you have to keep him in there. Crusoe hasn't shown us um, astronomical talent, so you keep your quarterback in there. He's doing a good job. He's um, doing what you would expect him to do, so I have no problem putting um, Kehoe in the whole game. I, I'm with you on that. The way I view it, and we talked about this before, was that leaving Kehoe in this game and in these situations was confirming that Delaware believes he's the best quarterback. I think they came into this game, best quarterback on this team. I think they came into this game thinking that they were going to have a lead, they were going to feel comfortable, and they would have series lined up where they could get J.P. Caruso and even perhaps Darius Wade time on film so they could see them in real game action. But because it was so close, they had to stick with the guy who they think gave them the best opportunity to win the game, and that's Pat Kehoe. And like you said, he didn't do anything 
that made you scratch your head. He missed throws in the first half. He looked maybe a little rattled or a little nervous. It was his first collegiate start, but he did enough that you'd expect this team to be able to pull off a win if you told if you know if you told me Wednesday night Kehoe's going to be you know above fifty at fifty percent you know passing two hundred yards. I'd say okay, yeah, Delaware's probably going to win. Uh, but now, what as you're going to say, JP Caruso? Do you expect to see? him at some point in these next two games before they go out to North Dakota. Yeah, I would be um, very surprised if J.P. Caruso does not get at least one quarter of play uh, in whether it be Lafayette or Cornell. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's Pat Kehoe the entire time during North Dakota, and I'll talk about a little why maybe later. But you need to at least give Caruso one shot this season to maybe prove that it wasn't the best decision to start Kehoe. I think as a whole, the team and from what Rocco's talked about and the last game kind of demonstrated that to us, I think it's Kehoe for, I think that's their pick. Um, I don't think it's too close because then they would have brought Crusoe in. Um, I think we'll see him more likely in Cornell than Lafayette because we've seen Cornell. We've played them before. We know what they're kind of up to. Um, So I think that's going to be the game where we see, uh, if anything, J.P. Crusoe. Another place on this offense that the Blue Hens struggled yesterday, first with turnovers, but second, and this goes along with it, the play of the offensive line, and in particular at the center. We saw on multiple occasions last night snaps. Even the one, there were snaps that led to fumbles that Delaware recovered, and there's obviously the snap on special teams that leads to the touchdown for Rhode Island. But throughout the game, there are also just snaps that are manageable for a quarterback, but throw them out of rhythm. And I think we saw that a lot last night. Snaps below the knees to Pat Kehoe or out to the left, out to the right. It was the first collegiate start for center Colin Wallace, who replaces Brody Kern, who last year was a captain of this team in an all-CAA selection. Of all of the places we talked about heading into the season of guys that would need to be replaced, we didn't really talk a whole lot about Brody Kern and Jake Trump, the two senior offensive linemen that left after last season. But I think that reared its head last night. Colin Wallace in his collegiate first collegiate start for the Blue Hens. You know, can you talk a little bit about that factor and how it might have affected the offensive rhythm and flow for Delaware? Yes, I mean, that's besides the quarterback, the most important position on the offense, because if you can't get the ball to the quarterback, then what's the point of having one back there? What's the point of running plays? And a lot of them, like you talked about, the one to Walker that was off to his right, uh, there were a couple to Keogh that were low, like you said, manageable for a quarterback, but then he has to stand up, recenter himself, and locate the field. I I don't want to blame that on inexperience, because... Because you're a center. I mean, I'm not trying right. to— You're supposed to do that yeah, every day in I'm practice. I'm not trying to diss yeah. on a center, but your one job is to throw the ball between well, your, your legs. your first job. Right. Blocking is your second job, uh-huh. but your main priority is throwing the, the ball, ball to the to quarterback. The quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I there is very difficult. I'm not trying to say that that's your only thing and you should be able to do it perfectly, but you got to do it better than you did there. So I'm going to tag the inexperience, and I think that we're— really starting to miss those seniors. Uh, like you said, Kern, who was the captain and graduated. Um, I thought blocking-wise, he actually did okay. I thought the line as a whole line didn't do fine. perfect. Yeah. It was fine. I think they were better opening holes for Kanai Kane and Lee than they were In blocking, yeah, blocking the uh, URI rushers and linebackers. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to blame that on experience. I think his two options are fix it or not play because that position is – 
super important, and I think Rocco knows that as well. Yeah, I don't think they're going to rush to make a change there at any right. point. I think you know the next guy in line is probably Mickey Henry, uh, a guy who graduated. Or he's a sophomore now, so he graduated a couple years ago uh, from St. Andrew, St. Elizabeth's in Delaware. On the offensive line, they rotated Connor Lutz and Chuka Zuzo, who's the transfer from Delaware State at left guard. That's where they played. And at right tackle, they rotated Noah Bear with Jethro Pepe. Didn't really notice. You know, I'd like to go back and watch more of the game again to make this judgment. But it seemed like, you know, those guys were all pretty much the same last night. Yep. Um, unless we look further into it and see otherwise, we'll let you know. Um, but that's something to keep an eye on, that they're rotating about seven offensive linemen right now at that at this point in the season. I will say, though, that the line in the second half was a lot more friendly to Kanai Kane and Lee. I think they opened the gaps a lot better for those two guys and both of them. Well, I, there were a couple of drives where I where they the Rhode Island defense was stacking the box a little bit and Delaware they they went three and out a couple of times where they they struggled to get that big first down chunk of yardage. Right, but in relative to the first half that they looked, especially on those first two drives where the line looked miserable, they they put it together and especially on with Kanai Kane and Lee in the backfield where you don't need to give them um, a 15-yard hole, you need to just give them a place to put three or four f- steps down because they're strong enough that they can push through. And they did that, especially on the one that en- unfortunately ended in the Kanai Kane um, fumble towards the end of the game. Besides that Charles Scarf third down conversion, everything else was a run, and everything else was just pounding up the middle, pounding it for first downs. Um, so I will give them that. They, they looked better in the second half. It doesn't take them off the hook about anything that we've just talked about, but uh, to add some sort of ray of hope that they did look okay in that second half. Defensively, Ray Jones leads the team with 12 tackles last night. Troy Reeder with 11. Charles Bell with 9. No surprises there, but as we talked about earlier on, defense was fine at the beginning of this game, but at the end it left more to be desired. I want to talk defensive line real quick, which is another place that Delaware had lost a lot of ability in Bilal Nichols and Blaine Woodson, and even the senior John Nassib last year. Their three defensive linemen all graduated Last night was the Blue Hens debut for Caleb Ashworth, who played the defensive tackle position left vacant by Bilal Nichols. It was also the Delaware debut for Frank Burton, who comes out of this game with two sacks. Uh, Your impressions of those two um, in particular, but the defensive line also as a whole. Uh, I thought Burton looked really good last game. Um, I thought every time there was a big play... You were saying Frank Burton and on the tackle, Frank Burton and on the help. I thought he really added a lot to that air quotes best Delaware best defense uh, vibe that Delaware is kind of having. I think Ashworth was serviceable. I thought he did pretty well. He had five total tackles, um, four of them being uh, assists on them. So I think as a whole, I think they boosted it. I don't think they hurt it, um, but. As a, like you mentioned, the whole scope of Delaware defense, we were I was high on their secondary. I thought their secondary was going to be very good, um, but Nigel Hill got burned on back to back plays. Yeah, and before we get to the secondary, I just I want to say with the defensive line, I really liked Burton. Like you were saying, as I mentioned on the broadcast, I thought they I thought Caleb Ashworth and whether it was Armin Ware, Cam Kitchen on the other side. I thought they left something to be desired in terms of pass rush. Yeah, I thought Jawan Lawson had a lot of time in the second half that we're not accustomed to seeing quarterbacks having with this Delaware defense. 
it's it's not like he had a lot of time because there were a bunch of plays where he could stand there, but he got rushed. But they, they couldn't, couldn't take contain. him down. They didn't contain him at all. Right. They, Those ends crashed in. He every time could get around. Yeah. Them. There was so they were pushing the pocket. The pocket collapsed almost instantly for an entire drive for Rhode Island, but they it was just not enough to take him down. And I think you know, there's a lot of preseason hype about what Caleb Ashworth would bring this team. And he's not the only one that needs to fill a big spot vacated by Bilal Nichols. But I think it now shows you, and if this continues, it will show you what a big contributor he was, right? Bilal Nichols last year had less than 10 sacks. His numbers weren't that impressive, but he is a big space eater. He makes it hard on the running game, and he crushes the pocket in so those edge guys can make the sack, right? He contains because he's pushing a guy or two back into the pocket and making things uncomfortable for the quarterback. It's a lot to ask of a single player, and you know Caleb Ashworth, Cam Kitchen, those guys are not quite to that level yet, and we'll have to. That's something that I'm interested in tracking to see how their play improves. But now to the secondary, we talk a lot about the safeties, Adderley and Brown. You wanted to mention Nigel who, who, Hill, who I agree did not. I mean, he made a couple plays, but he he also got burned deep a couple of times uh, in this game. Yeah, back to back plays. The first one was a blown coverage, and you know. What are you going to do? It's a blown coverage. Can't do much about it. You shouldn't have blown the coverage. But the second one, the pass that was sent to the end zone uh, directly after that play, Hill didn't look good. He read the ball wrong. He read the uh, offensive player wrong, and that was almost a touchdown if it was an accurate throw. Two plays out of a scope of the entire game, not too bad. Everyone can have two bad plays. I'm not saying everyone at the same game can have two bad plays because you're never going to win, but two bad plays is not the worst. I thought Adderley looked pretty much himself um he wasn't as ball hockey as he usually is his ability to kind of read the pass before the pass and adjust to that didn't come through too much probably because they were running the ball more and he, he was close to picking that one that the wide receiver threw yeah that was a duck. terrible pass he made a lot of ground to almost come catch that one yeah um but i think that secondary out of everybody every unit whether it be the line whether it be the offense whether it be that i think they did their job the best that we expected them to do because they well i mean i I think everybody fell short of expectations maybe they were the closest right but but relative to the offensive unit and the offensive line i think the secondary did the best out of all the units relative to what we expect from them um so i don't think there's much really extra to talk about for them because i think they know what they can do and i think they're prepared uh the line was probably where the more question linebacker course where, where the most questions came from This was game one. It's obviously a long season. But last night, Coach Rocco even alluded to it. To make it to the playoffs out of the CAA, you pretty much have to have eight wins wins, to feel comfortable. And six of those wins have to come in CAA play. And with this opening night loss, Delaware has already given up one of those two losses that they could supposedly allow themselves to get to that eight-win goal. Mm -hmm. So... 
you know, we don't want to overreact too much here. It was one game. There's a lot of football left to be played. But as you look at the scope of the season, you can't help but see the significance of this loss in that it cuts away any type of safety net the Blue Hens had. They really have no margin for error, and they still have 10 games to go this fall. Yeah. Um, I'm actually not as concerned as I initially thought I would be about this. They lost to Rhode Island, the 12th-rated team in the preseason-rated uh, team in the CAA out of 12. We expected Delaware a loss in the CAA for Delaware to come from New Hampshire. New Hampshire just lost to Maine by a wide margin. So now my mind is turning, is New Hampshire really as good as we expected? Is Delaware well, really we'll as good? We'll also have to see what the status of Trevor Knight is, their quarterback. Right. And that is that's a, a big that's factor a in them, one, losing last night 35-7. to seven, And in the future. But also yeah, what they're going to look like when they play to get, uh, against Delaware in late October. So that could be a better – so I'm not um, in any way – Saying injury is a good thing. No, but, but it could be an easier game yeah. than we expected it to be. Like so, that could be a place where Delaware can pick up a win. And besides New Hampshire, I really wasn't nervous about any CAA opponent. Given I wasn't nervous about Rhode Island, and look what happened. Right. But I'm not too nervous right now. There's a lot of football left to play, and a lot of beatable teams. I think the only other challenge not named New Hampshire um, is either Elon or Stony Brook. One of those two other teams. I think Delaware should get the job done against any other team. Again, I say that. Right, and that's the flip side of this is that, okay, anybody can beat anybody. You know, Maine can beat New Hampshire, but, you know, Delaware can supposedly beat anybody in this conference. But the flip side of that is anybody can beat anybody. Richmond could beat Delaware. Towson could beat Delaware. They just lost to Rhode Island. There's nobody that's not going to give them a challenge. They slip up two more times. There's That's it for this team. If they slip up once, they're okay. But we expected them to lose one of these games down the stretch. So if they... If they drop one like they did to Towson last year or to Villanova in the season finale, that's it. And that's a very real possibility when you have to play a team like Richmond on the road that's going to want to give you a piece of you know what they have after losing in double overtime in your place. When you have to play Albany on the road, who's got a really good running back, and we saw Delaware last night, could not stop the running game deep in the fourth quarter. The teams like that that we didn't expect to be competitors, maybe it's easier to play New Hampshire, but... Elon didn't get any easier yesterday. Stony Brook didn't get easier. There's no margin for error if you drop a game to one of these opponents that we kind of checked off as an automatic win the way that we did to Rhode Island. Right. I'm going to kind of go off of that and say, sure, given, can't check automatic wins. But I think we can't take this loss and say, now we have to be unsure about Delaware for every game going forward. I still think we need to remain confident, remain behind our team in the sense that we still think they can beat the lower-rated teams in the CAA. So I'm not going to get too nervous about it. I still think my record stands. I think the two CAA losses will stand. I didn't predict URI being one of them, but now, with especially with Trevor Knight going down, uh, I maybe can cross New Hampshire off that list. Well, we don't, we don't, we don't know the status if you, if of you'll Trevor be there Knight. Or not. It's going to be a long time until they play. Right. I'll just, I'll just say this: that yes, you can't count Delaware out. And there's a lot of football, you know, we keep saying these things, and I agree with you. Like, their their chances of making the playoffs are still, they're more than 40% or 50%, right? But what it brings you, and this will get to our final point of the show, what it brings you to is thinking about how the expectation, at least for us, but for many fans and people who follow the program, was that in this season, Delaware had turned a corner, that after last year, 
being seven and four, five and three, a three win improvement overall from the year before, first year of Danny Rocco, that coming into the second year of the Rocco era, that this team was ready to be a playoff contender and that this team was ready to be one of the best teams in the CAA and that they had figured out how to win and they had a lot of returning talent from last year and this was a year that they were going to make a jump and be one of the big dogs again in the CAA and in the FCS. And I think what last night brings you to is, one, obviously a major feeling of disappointment, but I think it also leads you to thinking it's just another year. And they might be seven and four. They might even be eight and three. They might make the playoffs. But with games like this, it feels like any other year. And it feels like you can't be fully confident in this team to do anything down the stretch because something like this can happen and it may happen again to this team. And there's question marks about, you know, some of the game calling and decision making that went on in this one. There's also question marks about just the talent not showing up and playing to its full potential. And whose fault is that when it happens time and time again back to last season against Towson and Villanova and now this season? There's questions about the fight of this team. They say that they want to be one of the best in the CAA, and I believe them. But at some point, the fans are going to say, well, show it to us, because every single time we get to this point where we think that this is going to be a CAA playoff contender, stuff like this happens. You lose to a team that hasn't been above 500 since 2001. Yeah, and I think, and I agree with your point there, and I think this is all more fresh in our minds because of how last season ended. This game kind of gave off Villanova-y vibes of a winnable game that Delaware kind of dropped the ball on, Towson-y vibes of a winnable game that Delaware dropped the ball on, and they're all fresh in our minds because that's what last season ended on. Those were the notes of last season, and it looked the same again today. That Delaware came in, Delaware started slow, Delaware got the ball moving in the third, and then missed opportunities and mistakes cost them the game. And in disappointing fashion, I might add, for all three of all two right. of those and now including Rhode Island, three of those. That's where I think this vibe is coming from, and that's why I agree with you in saying, like, do we are we surprised that it happened this way? Not really. I mean, I, I, because I'm is, surprised. I, I because I believed I believed that they were they were to the next level where they knew how to win, where they weren't going to lose to teams that they should beat and that maybe they wouldn't be able to beat Stony Brook or New Hampshire or JMU, but they were going to take care of business. And that's that's what makes this disappointing. Yeah, I, I mean, d- disappointing, yes. Surprising, no. Because this is I'm a, surprised. This is a mode that Delaware kind of showed us with Towson, with Villanova, that they are a good team on paper. They make stupid mistakes and leave so many points out there. I'm not surprised that this team performed that they did. I'm disappointed because this was such a winnable game, but I'm not surprised. And I guess I was surprised by this one, but I guess for the next one, I won't be surprised. Right. If they go out and they, I guess I'll be surprised for a non-conference play, but if they go and lose to Towson this year at home, if they lose to Albany on the road, I I wouldn't necessarily be surprised because we've seen it before. We've seen it this year. We saw it with the two games that we've mentioned a lot last year. We've seen it in years before where Delaware had a winnable game at home, for instance, against Maine, and Wes Hills, despite a 200-yard performance, has the ball stripped from him. Similar situation, Maine picks it up, scoop and score, they win the game. A couple of years ago, you and I, at 
William and Mary, 14 to 3 was the score right, heading Walker. into the fourth quarter. Yep. And Delaware manufactures a way to lose that one, including mm-hmm. a big time turnover by Joe Walker that results in a touchdown the other way for Aaron Swinton. So we've seen this happen. We've seen this story time and time again. And it's just you you're constantly wondering when is it gonna end? When are when is Delaware gonna turn that corner? And you thought it was Last night, you thought that was the start of it. There's all of these extra things. We haven't talked about the uniforms in the barn and all of the people that there were, 18,000 people or whatever it was. But now now comes the challenge of how do you get people to believe that you actually have despite this type of performance. They've done a lot to try to get people there. And last night, a big crowd. The final thing I want to ask you about, Jake, coming into these next two weeks, what do you expect to see from the fans and from the crowd after they get that type of performance in week one? And also with it being a Saturday game, typically a tougher time to attract students to games than the first Thursday night game. That's the real test. What do you think is going to be the crowd like in weeks two and three? If I am a, a student here, that's not a, that, a if I, I'll rephrase that. If I'm a student here and I'm a Delaware sports fan because I go to Delaware, I'm not going to those games. If I'm a Delaware sports fan because I like Delaware sports and I just happen to go to school, if I'm a sports fan like ourselves, I'll still go to the games. It's a football game. They're a competitive team. But if I don't know the inner workings of this team and I don't really know much about them as a whole and I just went because an orange bus pulled outside my dorm and all my friends were going on it, I'm not going to that game anymore. It was disappointing for even the uh, non-intelligent football mind to watch to see this team get deflated and see the whole uh, stadium as a whole get deflated. I think, obviously, attendance is going to drop because it's a Saturday game. I think attendance is going to drop just based on their performance. They're not winning. They don't show up. I mean, how many teams can we pull up that when they start losing, attendance drops? It's just how it works. You go to mm-hmm. watch a win. Um, so I think attendance will drop. I think morale will drop until this team either writes the ship or we just finished game one, so I hate to say it, but until it's the end of the season, and we start up again next year. All right, that'll do it for us here on the Delaware Football Roundup. Thanks, Jake, for hopping on and joining me and making it through that broadcast last night. And I hate also, to be here on those circumstances, but <laughs> glad I'm here. And also thanks to uh, Josh Deal, Nick Delaglio, and Doug Barron, who last night did our pregame coverage in our typical Blue Hen Sports Cage spot as Jake and I were down at the game. Jake and I will be back with Blue Hen Sports Cage, our Thursday weekly sports talk radio show this coming week. That's Thursday, 5 to 7 p.m. on 91.3 WVUD. And then we'll be back with the second edition this season of the Delaware Football Roundup following Delaware's Week 2 matchup against Lafayette. We also have coverage of that game against Lafayette starting at 3.30 p.m. on 91.3 WVUD. And as always, streaming online on our website, www.wvud.org, and on the TuneIn Radio app. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you.